Well, if you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15, we're looking uh, this morning at the second in this mini-series in uh, the uh, Gospel of John, particularly John 15. We looked last night at uh, verses 1 to 11 and this morning 12 to 17. And as you can tell from my accent, I was born in Texas. I made that joke last night, and I, I, I get teased about it by uh, the staff at College Church, because wherever I go to preach, that's the first thing I say, because I have to kind of like remove the, he's not from around here feeling, you know. Uh, so um, now we've got that settled, I'll, um, we'll move on to, um, uh, to looking at the scriptures. It's a wonderful passage. I really enjoyed being um, with you last night. And as I said to some of the folk afterwards, uh, who, some, actually I met one person who had been with us in New Haven when I uh, did a church plant in New Haven uh, next to Yale University. I just met a couple of folk who are uh, the same church where I was at in Eden in, in Cambridge. And um, it's great to make those uh, new connections. As I was talking after the uh, message last night, which is all about abiding, uh, this uh, personal enduring communion with Jesus, uh, through his word. Actually, though I love uh, that part of the passage and I loved it when I was doing my commentary on John's gospel, this part that we're looking at this morning, it really thrills me. And I, th- I believe it is uh, this particular theme, this passage, and of course the Bible addresses it in a number of different places, but I think preeminently here, uh, is of significant relevance uh, to the Christian church, but not just the Christian church, to society today. And I think we'll see why. So let me read it out for us and then we'll get into it. So John uh, chapter 15, I'm gonna read from verse uh, 12 to verse 17. Jesus is speaking. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Well, clearly this passage is about love. Why should we uh, spend our time at this Bible conference and this morning thinking about this theme? Let me give you just a a, a few reasons why it is so important. First of all, it is very evident that we live at a time where there is a pronounced lack of love. Love would not be the first word that springs to mind to describe the last few years in America. Uh, Divisiveness, maybe. Political rancor, perhaps. Hate. 
maybe. Of course, we're in California, and when we were driving around, uh, uh, Josh uh, Maurer, who's uh, one of the pastors on our staff who's with me this weekend, when we're driving around, going down to one of the beaches and looking up at the mountains, uh, I've been saying to him, you know, another day in paradise. And I've also been saying, how does anyone ever do any work around here? It's just so nice. And so I, I'm, I understand that I'm speaking in a context where there's just, you know, this is the entertainment capital of the universe and that this is a place of great, and yet at the same time, I'm sure you have not been immune to the lack of, uh, it, the summer of love, the 1960s. I don't think that's what we're going through right now. Maybe the summer of hate. And Unless we are content with that situation, in, it's not just outside society, it's also present in the churches. There's never been a more divisive time among evangelicals, since I've been alive anyway. People throwing bombs at each other rhetorically. And unless we're content with that situation, clearly when Jesus talks about how we should love one another, it becomes an important thing for us to think about. So that would be one reason. Another why this is important. Another reason why I think this is, would be very important for us to consider is that particularly within Christian circles, but also within non-Christian circles as well, the idea of love tends to be thought of as a simple, even easy thing. Uh, the phrase is, um, you've just got to love him, as if that was an easy thing to do. Well, it's not, of course, is it? Uh, D.A. Carson uh, has written a, a great little book on this called The Difficult Doctrine of Love. It's a fascinating title, The Difficult Doctrine of Love. Love is not easy. It's not simple. And it's not sentimental. We think, well, you, you know, we just, need a, we just need to love each other. And like, that's a sentimental thing. It's a feeling thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of war, it's the warm fuzzies. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, let's just, let's just love each other like a spiritual band-aid over a problem. We just need to love each other. Well, true, but how? And what does love mean and how would you define it? And, and if you say, I love ice cream, how is that different from saying, I need to love my enemy or love my Christian brother or sister? Or, and and how, do, how do I love the person who has a different political opinion than I do? How do I love the person who interprets eschatology different than I do? How, how do I love the person who is acting in immoral ways and is maybe an enemy of the cause of the gospel? And yet Jesus says, love your enemies. And how is that different from the way that I should love other Christian brothers and sisters? Is it different? And in what way? And in all, so it's, it's far more complicated. So, so, not, so those two things uh, go together. Not only are we living in a time where there's an evident, pronounced lack of love, at the same time, the answer that we need to love each other is not an easy answer to arrive at. But there's one final reason why I think this is particularly important, and that is most people realize that love is meant to be a distinctive of Christianity. Uh, this really uh, came home to me when I, um, I served a church in New Haven, which is where Yale University 
is. And when I was over there, um, my, my, PhD, my, my doctorate was at Cambridge, but I did research at Yale University as well. And um, my work was in a, a theologian called Jonathan Edwards, the American, the American Augustine. And um, there's a college at Yale University called Jonathan Edwards College. And they, they, uh, they gave me uh, an honorary fellowship of that college. And I got connected to Yale. I never studied a course there. Sometimes you read about me online saying he studied at Yale. I didn't really. I just hung around in libraries and read books. But uh, I didn't really take any classes, you know which is the best way of doing university, by the way. Um, so, but anyway, I got to know some of the people, and one of the things that happened was I actually, the church I served in New Haven was a Southern Baptist church. I used to say it was the most counterintuitive church in, in America. I, I was an Englishman uh, serving a Southern Baptist church in New England. You didn't get any stranger than that. And, and, um, but, but there was no, so the Yale University had a, a chaplain, which is like the official person, but then it had chaplain C's for the different denominations, and so they were looking for a Baptist chaplain, and um, I remember going to these meetings suggesting that maybe I could be their Baptist chaplain, and of course they were pretty nervous about what kind of Baptist they might get, you know, as a Baptist chaplain. You can imagine the way that Yale might think about that, and I remember sitting down with them, and they were talking about this, and I said, look, um, you are going to have a Baptist chaplain here because you want to represent all different denominations. Um, I'm about as good as you're going to get. Think what else you could have. And I just saw the lights go on. They were like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll take you. So anyway, I became like a, the Yale Baptist chaplain when I was there. And I remember sitting down with a group of them. There was the Buddhist chaplain as well. And the Buddhist chaplain was, of course, um, pronouncing this idea that the way for us to get along together is to tolerate, ev not just tolerate, but accept every different opinion as equally valid, which is, of course, those of you who've studied um, philosophy and all, all the rest will know this is postmodern relativism, that every viewpoint is equally true, equally valid. And the evangelicals there, who there were some who also chaplains, were kind of pushing back against that. And I remember one uh, friend of mine who's an evangelical there and works at Yale, pushed back at him and said, no, actually, what we need is a higher view of truth, but we also need love. We need to love those that we disagree with. And of course, I was thinking in my inside, like, amen, you know, amen, go for it, brother, preach it. That's good. And the Buddhist chaplain, I, looking at it, I can still see his face. His face just like fell. You know, like, and he, what he said was, don't talk to me about Christian love. So he rejected it. But he also knew it was meant to be characteristic of Christianity. And if that's the case, so if, if we live in a time when there's an ov obvious lack of love, and at the same time we know that love is more difficult a thing to do than perhaps in sentimental conversation we might suggest, and also the world outside and us in here know that one of the hallmarks of Christianity is meant to be love, we better get it right. So then what is Jesus saying about love in this important passage? Uh, let me give it to you in a sentence and I'll try and explain uh, how I get there. So the, the sentence is, uh, is the following. Uh, Jesus here is teaching us that we are to love one another because Jesus loved us by the way he uh, loved us and as evidence that he loved us. So let me uh, explain 
uh, uh, just uh, simply how I get there. So first of all, the passage is uh, structured in a way that indicates that our, it, it's really about our love for each other. So if you look down at the verses, you'll see that verse 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then you scan, scan your eye down to verse 17. He says, these things I command you, so that you will love one another. So clearly, so this, those of you who are Bible scholars will know that this is what's called an inclusio in terms of structure. So ancient texts, they didn't have highlight pens, they didn't have paragraphs divisions, they didn't put words in bold, they didn't have headings. The way they indicated the main theme of an idea was through structure of the text, and one of their techniques was what's called an inclusio, which is simply a bracket structure, so you start with it and you end with it. And here, Jesus, this part of the passage, it starts with, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, and then at the end, these things I command you, so that you will love one another. So the main point is, we're to love one another. It would be like saying something like this, this would be a contemporary inclusio, um, I like Southern California, it has great beaches, the people are really nice, um, uh, the weather is amazing, there are mountains, what's not to like? This is why I like Southern California. What, what's the main point I'm making? The main point I'm making is not about the beaches and the mountains, the main point is I like Cal Southern California, right? And similarly here, the main point is Jesus saying, love one another. But what do you want to notice, and we'll come back to this at the end, we talked about how you know, people think it's like sentimental love. Look at what Jesus says. This is my commandment that you love one another. And again, these things I command you so you'll love one another. So whatever Jesus means by love, it's something that can be commanded So it's often said in Christian circles that love is not merely a feeling, it's an action. That love is not a noun, it's a verb. That love is not simply an emotion, it's an act of will. And this would tend to suggest that that sort of common idea is correct. After all, I could not command you to become a fish. It would be absurd. Um, if I was the governor of California, I could command you to wear masks, and you probably would or would not, depending on what you thought. <laughs> but at least it would be something that in theory you could do. Uh, you could command something that was a real reach. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the president who said, we're going to go to the moon. So it doesn't mean it's an easy thing to do, to love one another, but it's something that you can obey. So that's, that's the, um, uh, the, the inclusio, the top and the tail of the passage, love one another, the commanded. But we're to love one another because Jesus loved us, by the way Jesus loved us, and as evidence that Jesus loved us. And so that's in the, in the meat, in the sandwich of, of the passage. And that runs, of course, from uh, 13 to 16. And um, uh, Jesus uh, there is describing... Um, his, his love, of course, uh, for us. And he's grounding uh, his, our love in his love. And so he's been saying, you know, I command you. But um, now he says, 
that you love one another, uh, it begins at the end of verse 12, uh, as I, this, this meat in the sandwich, as I have loved you. So this is not, he doesn't say, love one another as I love you. He says, love one another as I have loved you. It's past or technically aorist, which in Greek is the tense of, of completed action. It's about something. Jesus is prophetically looking forward to something that he will do from the standpoint of it having been done. You are to love one another as I have loved you. What does he mean by that? Well, very obviously he tells us, verse 13, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. And of course, what Jesus is talking about there is the cross. So when Jesus says, love one another as I loved you, what he's saying is the way that you're to love each other is because, by, evidenced in how I have loved you. That is, it is cruciform. That is, it is cross-shaped that it is Calvary kind of love, that it is a blood-bought love. And the whole, the whole of the Gospel of John is, is structured that way. So uh, if you follow through in the commentary, the couple of commentaries I wrote on this, you'll see this. So the Gospel of John is basically all structured around the thriving in him that we might have life, that you will believe in, in him, uh, that you might find life in his name. But it's structured around an introduction. Uh, sometimes it's called a prologue, but, but probably uh, the, uh, the, the, the ancient um, commentators didn't use that word prologue but there was certainly an introduction. There's an introduction, there's a conclusion, and in the middle of John's Gospel, there's a book of what scholars usually call the book of signs, because Jesus does various signs to point to who he is. And then there's what is often called the book of glory, and we're in that second half of the two middle parts of John's Gospel, the book of glory, and the glory is all going to be revealed counterintuitively, paradoxically, at the cross. And now Jesus is pointing that same direction at the cross. That's how you are to love. By the way, I have loved you at the cross. So this love is cruciform, crucified in, in, in a, in a it, the shape of the crucifixion. It is, it is by that, it is evidenced by that. And it is substitutionary. So look at this um, in verse 13. So he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, if you really want to get into it, there's a long debate as to whether that word that's translated in English for should instead be translated instead of on behalf of, in the place of. And the truth is that that word could be translated that way, but doesn't have to be translated that way. And as so often in, in, in Bible interpretation, the, the, the answer is to look at the context, and it, but in the context, it very clearly, this kind of for clearly does mean on behalf of, in place of. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for, for his friends, that is, on, in behalf of his friends, in, the, in place of his friends, instead of his friends, as a substitute for his friends. 
So our love, which is the main thing that this is about, is the kind of love that's like that. That's, that's for people. That's sacrificial. It's not just a feeling. It costs. And then this love that, is, uh, that shapes, is intended to shape our love, uh, Jesus says, is also for his friends. Now that is also a fascinating word that Jesus chooses because um, it, it could also be translated loved ones. So when we think of um, friends, friendship in different cultures resonates in different kind of ways. And typically, obviously I'm not American, so you can tell me afterwards if I get this right or not, but typically in American culture, friendship, friends, friendliness, tends to have this semantic range of being friendly, being a sort of buddy, being kind of casual, that sort of thing. Just let's be friends. Um, but here, and every culture has a slightly different idea of friendships. So I've lived and worked in a number of different cultures, uh, and there's, there's slightly different ideas of the way that friendship works. Here, this idea of friendship is deeply rooted in love. It can also be translated, this is why I call you beloved. Um, uh, I um, lived and worked in a culture that was more Middle Eastern, so... Um, uh, English cultural friendships tend to be, they tend to be, as you probably can guess, the English tend to operate on politeness, slight reserve, the kind of barriers, and you have to kind of break through until you finally get there, if you ever do, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but in this, in this more Eastern culture I lived in, the friendship there operated on a different level. I remember having meetings there with people and people turning up late to those meetings. By late, I meant like half an hour, 45 minutes late. And the excuse they would give would be, my friend needed me. Well, I'm from London. That would not work in a business situation in London. It's like, what do you, what do you mean? You, you go get enough, another job, you know? But that, that, once that person said that, that was done. And when Jesus is talking about friendship here, he means those he loves. So there's a friendship, love uh, context to this. What is more, there's a shift in the relationship. So he says, um, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And of course, what he means by that is love. That's what he's commanding here. Remember, this is my commandment, you love one another. So it's evidence, our relationship, our our love for one another evidences is evidence is evidences the love that Christ has for us, friendship love. But then he says, verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends or beloved, for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. So there's a shift. Now the question is, is that shift a shift from Old Testament? Christianity to New Testament Christianity. A lot of people would think like that, and there's some 
reason for thinking like that, that God has demonstrated his love for us, that while we're still sinners, he, he, Christ, Christ gave himself for us. The, 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 the text that we said together that, that uh, this is love, not that you, you love us, that, you, that we love you, but that you loved us and gave your son as a propitiation for our sins. There's, there's, a, there's a fulfillment in the cross, or as Paul says, that when the, the, when the law is read, when Moses is read, the veil is over their eyes, but in Christ that veil is removed. So there is a new intimacy in the New Testament. There's a new work of the Spirit that then gives us this, this, this uh, uh, deeper, more, more, more uh, fulfilled, no longer. We live at the time, uh, the Bible says, when such so amazing amount of things happen that the angels just long to look into what, what, what God has done among us. And so there's a fulfilled nature to it. But on the other hand, the Bible says that Abraham was called the friend of God. James chapter 2, verse 23, Isaiah 41, uh, verse 8, that Abraham was the friend of God. So it's not like in the Old Testament they didn't have this love relationship with God. The shift, and, and of course the servant nature goes together, so Paul calls himself a servant of God. We are, those of us who are Christians are also servants of God. But when you become a Christian, when you start to follow Jesus, you now also have this love relationship with him. We say, how do I, how do I know whether I have that love relationship with him? Well, one of the ways you know that, he says, so he says, verse 15, but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. So one of the ways that you know that you have this, that one of the expressions of Christ's love for you is what we're doing right now. That the Bible is opened, that we're studying the word of God is a sign that God loves us. He's making known his will to us. And he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We looked at the, the fruit and the abiding uh, last night. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We looked at that last night too, that part of the, the, the fruit of the relationship that comes with this loving relationship is a, a revived and um, effective um, prayer connection with, with God. And this this choice, this electing choice is also how we know that we are loved. So you've got the Bible teaching, the, the, the unfolding of the, of the will of God primarily and, and ultimately in Christ as that will of God is, is constantly revealed to us through his scriptures by, by the work of the Spirit. And then there's this choice, this elective choice, which often throws Christians' minds, like how, how, if I know that God loves me because he chose me, how do I know that he chose me? And how does that help me understand that he really loves me? A good illustration of this I often used is uh, from D.L. Moody. Uh, no relation, by the way. D.L. Moody used to picture it like this. He would say, imagine there's a big door, and over the top of the door, it says, come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And you go through the door, and you look back, and on the other side of the door, there's another text that is written, which says, before the creation of the world, I have known you. And that's how the Bible uses election. If you come to Christ this morning and you walk through the door, when you look back on the other side, you'll realize that actually God chose you. It's always a comforting doctrine that he has you securely in his hands, that he will never let you go, that you are his. So all this to say uh, that this passage is uh, teaching us that we are to love one another because Christ loved us by the way Christ loved us, cruciform, and as evidence that Christ loved us. Well, you say, well, that's all very well, but how do I actually do it? Let me give you three little ways that will help you actually do it. First of all, the command. I know this weekend is meant to be a comforting and encouraging time, and, and commandments are not often thought to be comforting and encouraging, but here's how they are. We often think that when we are being called to love someone, we think about what the other person has done and whether they are the kind of person that I can love, whether they've hurt me, whether they deserve their love, that love, whether they agree with me. And Jesus puts the focus in none of those places. My brothers and sisters, it's a command. It's something we need to do out of obedience. So there's the command. But if we only focus on the command, then of course the, the tendency could be to become legalistic. So not as the command here, there's also the cross. The death of Jesus on the cross, the finished work, the past tense, that he loved us, empowers our love. It is the death conquering, sin defeating, glory winning power of the cross. And I wonder whether historians in the future as they look back at this divisive time that we've all been through, will point to the fact that churches in many different areas stopped preaching the cross, stopped emphasizing the cross, because it is that doctrine, that message, that empowers our love. That's how much he loved you. Are you not going to love him or her? 
Really? That's his power for love, by his spirit that reshapes you. Now love. For there is also here not only the command and the power of the cross, there's also a condition. And that condition is right in the, in the central point of the passage. You are my friends or you are my loved ones if, if you do what I command you, uh, namely to love one another. Now, theologians understand Jesus is not saying here that our salvation is grounded in our obedience. Clearly not. He's just said that uh, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. What he's saying is that the evidence of us having received that is that we become that shaped too. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Love as you've been loved. We are commanded to love each other because Jesus loved us, by the way that Jesus loved us, and as evidence that Jesus loved us. Our friends, it's been great to be with you and good to renew old connections and make new ones. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. We thank you, Lord, that that is the love that you've expressed to us and for us. We pray, Lord, that by the power of your word, you would help us, Lord, as individuals and as a church and as your people to have the hallmark of biblical Christianity, namely cruciform love. May it be true, uh, Lord, as uh, your word teaches us just before the passage, we've been thinking of this, that this is how all men might know that we are your disciples, by the love we have for one another. And may that be true of Grace and College Church, where I come from, and for your people in these difficult days in which we live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.